Last time, in view of the present pervasive discussion concerning marriage and the role of the husband and the wife, we looked at the Christian husband and headship, the concept of headship in the Christian home. Today, we are looking at the Christian wife and submission. And we're doing so because these are the two issues that seem to have come to the forefront in the present discussion concerning the proposal to amend the Sexual Abuse Act, which is designed to um, criminalize rape within the marriage relationship. This is a hot issue. But we're not looking at it so much from a legal perspective in this discussion today, but rather from a biblical one, looking at what God has to say in his word concerning the relationship between the husband and wife and what it means when it declares that the husband is the head of his wife and that the wife is to be submissive to her husband. These are the issues we are discussing here. Last time we had the pleasure of having with us Senior Pastor of Christ Community Church, DeAnza Cunningham. He's expected to join us again at the five o'clock hour when we go into time for call-in and discussion. Also, we are hoping to have Reverend Bill Higgs with us. He's the president of the Methodist Conference in the Bahamas, and he is to join us a little later in the program as well, Lord willing. Now, as usual, what I will do is to give what I call the basis for our discussion or talking points, as it were, during this first portion of the program. And then we will have a break for news, and after which we will come back and open the lines so you can comment or ask questions of myself or Pastor Cunningham or Reverend Bill Higgs. But as usual, we would like to begin our program with prayer, prayer for our nation, prayer for those who are ill, prayer for those who are in need at this time. So I invite you to join me before the throne of grace. And as we do so, remember that praying and the privilege of prayer did not come easy for the triune God. It might be easy and simple for us, but it was not for the God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. They had to provide this magnificent, awesome plan of redemption in which Jesus Christ, was to be the sacrifice, God the Father, the priest, the Holy Spirit, the enabler of Jesus Christ to offer himself as a sacrifice once and for all for the redemption of mankind. And so when we pray, we need to come with hearts that are filled with praise and thanksgiving and worship to the triune God who has given us this supreme privilege of being able to speak to him without fear and to have the anticipation, the assurance that he will hear and answer our prayer in keeping with his will. So let's begin then with a note of praise. Father, we praise you today. We thank you, we honor you, we worship you. We give to you all the worth 
the glory, the honor that is due to such a holy, powerful God as you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that motivated you to give your son, your only son, as a sacrifice for our sin. We praise you today for the great redemption we have in and through him because of your grace. Father, we come with thanksgiving also for this wonderful country which you have given to us as Bahamians. Beautiful, yes. Sun, the sand, the sea, and the people. We thank you for this nation and your good hand upon it throughout these years. We thank you for the fact that for much, in fact, most of our time here as Bahamians, we have sought to honor the triune God. We have sought to uphold the word of God. And Father, our prayer is that that, that might continue because we see around us, all around the nation of the world, your word is being discarded. You are being disregarded and men are going their own way with their own ideas and their own philosophies and looking at your word as being old and ancient and ancient having no relevancy today but father we thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven it will abide forever thank you that it never changes your word your truth is absolute may we hold to it with that attitude and that conviction we pray for those who rule over us as you have requested that we do yea as you've commanded us to do we pray for their salvation for all those who have not yet placed faith in you who are leaders of us in a political area first of all we pray that they may come to place faith in the only mediator between god and man the man Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray the same prayer all the time because that is how you've told us to pray. And that prayer, we know when answered, will then cause the leaders of our country to lead us free of oppression and lead us in a way that is God-honoring and pleasing in your sight. Then we will experience peace and tranquility in our streets. Lord, grant that this may happen for your glory. We pray for our religious leaders and those who are leaders of your people, those who have professed to be called of you to lead the most, pro most precious possession on earth, your people purchased with your own blood. Lord, we pray for all of us that we might remain true to your word. We might seek to live holy lives, lives of integrity and lives that honor the triune God. And give us grace, Father, that if we fail to live up these standards, to step down from leading your people until our lives can be changed. Lord, grant, we pray, that your people will be able to look to those who lead the church, the people of God. They would see in them a picture of Jesus Christ in character and what is proclaimed Father, grant we pray that your people might truly be the light of the world, the salt of the earth in this dark and corrupting society in which we live. We pray for those who are not well today. Ask your good hand of blessing and healing to be upon them. 
pray all of these things in the name and on the basis of the finished work of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be looking at the Christian wife and submission. To begin, I want to read from the Word of God because this will be our basis for discussion. If you have your Bible, I encourage you, if at all possible, to get it before you because, again, I want to underline the fact that this broadcast, this ministry here, is to help you to understand the Word of God, not to listen only to what we say about the Word, but to learn the Word of God itself. So please, I invite you to get your Bible. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, and we'll go through verse 24, and then we'll begin with our expository comments. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submitting to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the body the church, which is his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. End of quote. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 24. Now, beloved, as Christians, and I want to emphasize that this message on the family is directed primarily to believers, those who believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Believers, there is an important spiritual fact we must remember and apply if we are going to please God in our lives and find true spiritual and personal fulfillment. It is this. We as believers are different people than what we were before we became Christians. Let me repeat. We are different people than what we were before we became Christians. We are new creations in Christ. We are partakers of the divine nature, the very nature of God himself. We are different than the unsaved who do not know Christ. Our nature is different. Our orientation toward life, death, and the future is different. Our values are different. Our standards are different. Our goals in life are different. Our resources are different. We as Christians have everything that is required to enable us to overcome the consequences of sin and the fall, not only as they relate to our business and to our ministry, but also to our marriage and our homes as wives, as husbands, as children, and believe it or not, even our in-laws. Listen, I say, to the words of God that we have read already in Ephesians 5, and we'll be looking at other passages as well. 
we can fulfill God's purpose for us in marriage. In fact, my friends, we must do so. That's how we demonstrate the fact that we have been redeemed. Now, there are two major characteristics of Jesus Christ which are to be manifested in the marriage relationship. And again, I want to emphasize that is what we're talking about. That's what we spoke about last time. That's what we're speaking about today. The marriage relationship and the role, the position of the husband and the wife. Two major characteristics of Jesus Christ are to be manifested in a marriage relationship. They are sacrificial love by the husband as head and voluntary submission by the wife as companion helper. These are the two essential characteristics of Jesus Christ that must be manifested in a Christian marriage. Christ is the model for both husband and wife. Now, last time, we have seen that the husband, as a divinely appointed head of his wife, is to love her sacrificially, serve her unselfishly, provide for her sufficiently, sustain her emotionally, and equip her spiritually. We spoke about that last time. The husband is the lead by serving his wife, not by subjugating or domineering her. That's the Christian difference in marriage as far as the husband is concerned. But now let's look at the Christian difference as far as the wife is concerned. Is her role a subservient one, as so many seem to think? Or is it that of an equal but, respond, but respondent partner to her husband? Is she subservient or a responder? Let's try to understand then this biblical concept of submission. There are three major aspects, and I'm going to be a little technical here because I believe it's important for us to understand this because this concept is so misused and abused today. The three major aspects of this word in Scripture. First is, that is, the, the meaning of the, the root meaning of the word. First is a military aspect. In other words, one, that one applies to the military. It means to place or arrange under, or to assign to, or to place in the shelter of. In other words, to be placed under the command or direction of a leader. That's the first implication of the meaning of submission. To be placed under the command or direction of a leader. Notice, to be placed there. Secondly, there is a forced or assertive aspect of this word. This is usually in the active sense. In this sense, it refers to the power to subjugate. And actually, it is used in reference to God alone in this aspect. But this is the position that some men take toward women and their wives. In fact, that's what has happened because of the fall. That is the essence of the phrase, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where God says in judgment upon the woman, he, meaning the husband, shall rule over you. It came about as a result of God's judgment and the fall. That's not his purpose. But then there is a third aspect, a voluntary aspect. 
This is used in the middle or the passive use of the verb. Now, it is used only with reference to the subordination and submission of Christ to God. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. It is also used with reference to believers to one another. That's Ephesians 5, 21. It also refers to submission of wives to husbands in Ephesians 5.22 and Colossians 3.18. It is also used in reference to children to parents in Ephesians 6.1. And then finally, it is used also in reference to slave to their masters, Christian slaves to their Christian masters in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, please listen carefully. This term is never used with reference to the unsaved. In Scripture, it is only used with reference to God and believers, to try on God and believers. It is the kind of submission exercised within the Godhead itself. We must understand this. This trait of submission is not a menial one. It is not a subservient one. It is a divine trait of the triune God. It is a voluntary submission of equals to one another in order that all might be profited. That's the kind of submission that is seen within the Godhead itself. Now, in this respect, submission is seen as an inner attitude with obedience as expected outward action. Let me say that again. Submission is seen as an inner attitude with obedience as an expected outward action. For instance, this is children to parents, slaves to masters, wives to their husbands. It is a voluntary response of the heart and will rather than a forced or suppressive servitude that is demonstrated. It is not that obedience, mind you, shows submission, but rather that submission generates or produces obedience. Now, as we shall see in our discussion, it is possible to be obedient outwardly, but not submissive inwardly or in attitude. And likewise, one can be submissively outside or inwardly, but disobedient outwardly. We'll discuss this as we go along. And so, with all this in mind, I've come up with a personal definition of wifely submission. And here it is. Wifely submission is an inward consent to glorify God through a willing submission to a husband whom God has divinely designated as a head. Let me repeat that. It is an inward consent to glorify God through a willing subordination to a husband whom God has divinely designated as a head. I believe that is what is submission of the wife refers to. Listen carefully. Submission is only biblical when it is done voluntarily, not grudgingly or forced by the husband. If the husband forces it, it is no longer submission, it is subjugation. If a wife does it grudgingly and not voluntarily, again, it is not 
godly submission. Forced submission is subjugation. The husband will answer for this. However, grudging or hostile submission is legalistic and hypocritical. The wife will have to answer for this. Now, let's look at it a little more carefully as it relates specifically to the wife. Notice, first of all, the context of this command to the wife, the Christian wife. First of all, it is an indication of being filled with the Spirit. This whole passage begins with Ephesians 5.18. Be controlled or filled with the Spirit. The connotation being that the only way it is possible for a wife to obey this command is through the enablement and empowerment of the Spirit of God. And I believe that is why it's so difficult for so many wives to do it, because they're not controlled or filled with the Spirit of God. They're filled with their own will, their own self-concern, and not the glory of God. But secondly, it is also an illustration of mutual submission. In Ephesians 5.21, it says we should be submissive to one another. But yet, this is a special and different kind. It goes beyond one another, especially it, it has to do with relations to a husband. In other words, the call to submission is universal. It takes in every aspect of the wife's life. The home, the church, the workplace, and government when it comes to the husband and wife. Now, when we deal with the whole family, children and servants and so on, then we can take all of these aspects in. But here, Paul deals specifically with the home, which is in the, which in his day, of course, included husband and wife, children and servants or slaves. He deals with all of these in that order uh, from this chapter on to chapter 6 of Ephesians. Now notice what he says. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands, children to their parents, and slaves to their masters. In each of these situations, he shows that although the submission to the particular head of each area has got to be respected as priority, the heads themselves are also to have an attitude of submission to those who are subject to their headship. For instance, he tells the masters that they are to do the same things he has told the slaves to do to them. That is, to please the Lord in their relationship to one another. The masters would do this by not threatening those under his authority. He does the same thing with regards to children and parents. He commands fathers not to provoke or exasperate the children. That is, they're not to bully their children just because they are, just because they are in a position of authority over them. And of course, he does the same thing with husband and wives. And exactly what he says will be a major part of our focus when we deal with the headship of the husband. Now, notice the passage. It is not only to be done being filled with the Spirit. It is also to be done in the light of the fear of Christ. Now, when we talk about doing something in the fear of Christ, Two aspects must be included. First, the present respect. We have reverence for the person of Jesus Christ through obedience of his word. Secondly, 
We have reverence and anticipation of the future judgment seat of Christ. That's all contained in this idea of submitting in the fear of Christ. But not only that, it is to be done in response to love. Husbands are to love their wives. In response, the wife is to submit. But fifth, it is to be also done when there is no love. First Peter three, chapter one, verse first Peter three verses one through six tells us this. The wife is to demonstrate submission to her unbelieving or un her un a disobedient husband in several ways. First, by minimizing her words and maximizing her ways. He says, Don't say a word, just live for Christ. She does that by being faithful to her husband, disobedient though he may be. Even in thought, she is to be pure. She is to be respectful to him in spite of adversity. And then Paul, then Peter says, she must do this by minimizing her outward beauty or focusing, minimizing focus on the outward beauty and maximizing her inner beauty. These are the instructions of Jesus Christ through his apostles. We're going to be talking about these. When we open our lines, we want you to call in. We want you to make comments. Our telephone lines are 322-7846 and 326-0800. Please, please jot it down. We're going to take a break. We have some ads and then the news, and then we come back. And by that time, our guests will be here, and we'll be taking questions and comments from you on the submission of the wife. ECB Studio, two very distinguished gentlemen, Pastor DeAnza Cunningham, who is the senior pastor of Christ Community Church. He was with us last time as well. Today we also have the pleasure of having with us Reverend Bill Higgs. He's the president of the Bahamas Conference of Methodists here, and we are thankful for his presence as well. As we mentioned earlier, our focus today is on the Christian wife and submission. Last time, we looked at the Christian husband and headship. And it is the objective of these two programs, last time and today, to really clarify the important role of the husband and the wife. What does it mean when it says that he is the head of his wife? And then what does it mean when it says that the wife is to be submissive to a husband? These concepts have been, I believe, misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied, both by Christians and non-Christians. And we want to see if we could give some uh, advice or at least some enlightenment on this particular biblical truth. But I think we have our first call, gentlemen, so let, we'll take that call right now. Hello, you're on ECB, talking it through biblically. Hello? Hello, are you there? Okay, I think we might have lost that individual. Please call again if you were, um, if you were cut off for some reason. Give us a call again. Gentlemen, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. It's good to be with you and to our audience. It's a privilege always to share with everyone who's seeking to understand better 
the Bible's teaching or to, to grow in Christ. It's always a privilege. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Certainly good to be here, Pastor Lee, again. Thank you again for the invitation and see if we can help to clarify some thinking out there. Okay, gentlemen, we're looking at the concept of submission of the Christian wife. Let's begin. Uh, I've sort of shared my uh, understanding of the passage somewhat already, but I'd like for you to share very briefly your understanding of this biblical doctrine of submission on the part of the wife. Reverend Higgs, can we start with you, and then we'll go with Pastor Cunningham. Sure. I think our, our main focus is in Ephesians 5, which you were discussing earlier and, and explaining some of the important aspects of this concept of submission. And verse 22 is the verse that specifically states, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But immediately before that, verse 21, is submit to one another. So that sets the context for us that this is not uh, one-sided or is not applying to one and not to the other. The submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, well, let me, let me ask you a question then. Let me ask you a question. From, so you're saying then that, that because it says submit to one another, it is saying to the husband as well, submit to your wife. I think the concept that is translated by the word submission, yes, applies equally to both. Um, Perhaps, you know, if St. Paul were writing in our day and time, you might not use the word submission because it has some connotations that we see as negative or subservient. And, you know, we, we prefer to talk about uh, equal but different rather than being subservient or submissive to one another. But right. I think, yes, in the same way the husband has the headship of the family, but that's in our understanding of our relationship with God. In, in the husband's headship is to do with his function. Uh, he's the priest of the family. He's the one who gives the spiritual guidance. He's the one who provides a lot of the things that, that reinforce and strengthen the family unit as God designed it. Um, doesn't mean that there's a superiority here versus an inferiority of the wife. There's, there's an equality, but the functions are different. The roles are so different. So the nature or the essence of the persons are not in question? No, no, not at all. It's their role, their function, their job. It's how they relate to each other in order to fulfill what is required in a family. And it, it stems from the basic concept of creation, male and female. God created them. You know, there's a, uh, the ebb and flow of the tides, the seasons come and go, the the in and out, the, the dark and light, everything has its, its opposite. Male and female have their opposites, and yet they work together in terms of the interconnection. So I think it's important that the context is set that submitting to, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is what leads to wives submit to your husband. So that's the foundation. You have to step off of that to get to the next step. And the submitting to the husbands, again, I think sometimes we read these verses or these passages and then we select the parts we like, you know. That's true. But it's uh, submit to your husbands, <laughs> that's not the end of the sentence, right. as to the Lord. Right. And that's the part that should govern how we understand submission. It's the same thing with your husbands, right? Love your wives as right. Christ Right, the other part the is as Christ loved the church, that he gave he himself. Gave himself There's the sacrificial element right. there. That, So I think we have to be prepared to take the entirety of the scripture. Uh, we can't select just bits and pieces. And when we put it all together, I think it clearly the teaching is that the submission has to do with 
recognizing our role and our function and not getting in each other's way, not trying to, to usurp each other's authority or uh, influence or position of being able to maximize the potential of the relationship by one trying to take over the other's role or, or both between them neglecting important parts of the way the family works. So wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, that's the guide. And husbands, the husband's the head of the wife, how? As Christ is the head of the church. So always our model is Christ. Always the scripture lifts us up above our own situation to see our point of reference is Christ. So that's the ideal. That's what we're aiming for. That's where it's always taking us to look. And as the church submits to Christ, verse 24, so wives submit to their husbands. It's in that relationship of understanding the church, and this is collectively, not any particular denomination or group, is supposed to submit to Christ. Well, that obviously means we follow his teaching. We don't seek to override his authority. We don't seek to take unto ourselves um, wisdom and authority that Christ has not given. Because submitting means we are following as he has guided us so, right. his we have the headship. boundaries as it were right as as uh, the Christ submits to I'm sorry the church submits to Christ right, right? and that's a, a role model as it were a metaphor an image for how wives submit to husbands okay. now also we know that Christ is not going to do anything detrimental or harmful or hinder his church right. he does everything to embrace to love to grow to strengthen Similarly, wives submitting to husbands should have no fear of anything going wrong or being harmed or mistreated if husbands are like Christ in relation exactly. to the church, in relation to their and wives. We'll come back later to that when that is not the case, though. Okay. What is the wife supposed to do when that is not happening? Right. Um, Pastor Dianza, let me hear from you then. What is your perspective on submission? I think... Um, uh, Bishop Bishop Higgs here. <laughs> don't let them don't, don't let them out there say that hear that right. I, I think he 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 he's, he summed it up very well. Um, clearly, what we what we understand is that the man, based on the text, is playing the the role, as it were, of Jesus, playing the role of Jesus in that he's required to treat his wife as Jesus would treat the church, and the wife, on the other hand, is playing the role of the church. She is to respond to Jesus as the church, and I'm going to use the word should, mm -hmm. respond to him. Because we know that the church today right. is definitely not responding mm -hmm. to Jesus as we ought. And so I, I like to, to think that, uh, uh, the, the, as, as, as Brother Higgs said a while ago, this is not a, a, a military thing. It's not a forced matter. It is a voluntary matter. The wife voluntary, voluntarily rather places herself under the authority, under the headship of her husband, recognizing that this man who is over her, as Christ is over the church, will not do anything detrimental to the relationship. Because obviously she's thinking about, as we often say in counseling, the usness of the, of the relationship, as opposed to the mindness or the yoursness, if I can use that, of the relationship. So the husband really ought to be treating his wife in accordance with Philippians 2. Uh, Philippians 2 is that, is that um, quintessential, quintessential passage as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and uh, if I may read it, yes, go ahead, um, here Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, be, 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 well, I can go further. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Clearly, what he's saying, if a husband is, 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 is one who is not motivated by selfishness, if he is not motivated by pride, if he has a mindset of humility, then there's no problem with a wife submitting to that kind of experience. Look at verse 4, he says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Clearly, he, if you have a husband who's looking out for your interest, for the wife's interests, then a wife has no difficulty with submitting to that. Verse 5, let this mind being you, which also was in Christ Jesus, a husband who has a Christ-like Christ -like attitude, obviously be a person who a wife will submit to, because Christ will do absolutely nothing that is detrimental to the spouse. Verse 6, uh, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In, in essence, the husband does not maintain this uh, uh, action or sense of superiority over his spouse. Even though Christ was equal with God, he condescended to become, in a sense, one of us. And so, in the same spirit, the husband ought to be like that. Not because he is head, he acts he takes that as a means of being superior, but he recognizes it, it is only function. It is, has nothing to do with uh, superiority at all. Um, next verse, verse 7, uh, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man, uh, totally giving of himself uh, um, to his wife. I mean, if I was a wife, I'd, I'd submit to that because I would trust a person. I think we have a call here, mm -hmm. Pastor. Okay, good. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I was just listening to you so intently there. Hello, you on ECB, talking Hello, it through publicly. Hi. Could you hear me? We can hear you. Hello? Yes. Okay, I, I know a couple. A lady, she's submissive to her husband, but her husband don't treat her good because everything you say is his own. This my this, this my telephone, this my religion, this my that. I mean, you think a person should just continue to do what they do? Uh, if an abuse like that, every abuse, they're good in the home, they're good on the outside, but when they get home, they don't have a home. They have to beautify the home, but they don't have to have a home. Everything is his own and not ours. Is that right? Gentlemen, <laughs> who'd like to respond to that? Hello? Yeah, well, just listen. Again, we've been talking about the ideal, the relationship as described in Scripture, right. that that is the standard that God has set for us. Um, the reality is a lot of us in our human frailty and weakness don't measure up to the ideal. I think, though, we have to take Scripture in its bigger uh, sense. We have to see the bigger picture and understand. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Can you hear us? Reverend Higgs is answering your question right now. Yeah, I think the bigger message of Scripture is that whatever particular situation you are in, you are to be governed by God's way of life, which is love, grace, forgiveness, compassion. But at the same time, God does not require us to be eternal victims or to suffer in every situation because of others selfishness or arrogance or misunderstanding of things. So I say that as a preface to say, I think in a situation where a woman is 
being abused by a husband, then she does not have the same, does not have the obligation to continue to be submissive in the sense that we sometimes understand that of doing everything he says going along with the program. Because submission, as we tried to explain, is more about understanding your role and your function than it is about the value of the person. Right. When uh, someone I'm, abuses I'm, someone, you are denigrating their value. Oh, there's no doubt about right. that. But I'm coming back to that one because that's a real important area too, I believe, when it talks about what happens when there is a very difficult situation in a relationship about how does a wife respond to a disobedient husband, for instance. And how far, but mm-hmm. to answer his question specifically, where he talks about the wife at home saying that certain things or most things are, belong to her and her alone and won't share, um, we would say that that, what would you say about that, uh, what would you say about that uh, wife? Is she then being the kind of wife she should be? No, clearly not, clearly not. Um, here is a woman who does not understand marriage. The very word marriage says that, that there is dignity and equality and unity in the relationship. And if she is speaking words of that nature and acting in that way, then it is clear to me that she does not understand marriage. She doesn't understand the usness of marriage. Uh, whereas we become one. And when we do something, we do something not for myself or for him. We do it for us. What, how does it benefit us? Um, and, and the third thing is, she has to understand that the Old Testament call of the wife is to help her husband in every respect. She is to help meet, help him to be all that he is capable of becoming. The New Testament uh, is to respect him to respect him. And, and, and there, are, there are two things that I always like to talk about in that regard. One, you respect him with two V's. Two V's. Two V's. Explain that. Verbally, because you know we, we men have an ego problem. <laughs> Verbally and visibly. Okay. You see, it is critically important. Peter, Peter, Peter mentions that very well in the way she is supposed to present herself in dress and all of that nature. So therefore, I think that lady needs counseling, deep counseling, with regard to understand the unity um, uh, um, that, results, uh, uh, that results from marriage. Okay, very good. You're listening to Talking It Through Biblically. Um, we have the pleasure of having in our studio today uh, Reverend Bill Higgs and Pastor Deanza Cunningham. And we're talking about the concept of the submission of the wife to her husband in keeping with the Word of God, exactly what that means. We invite your calls, 322-7846, at 322-7846, or 326-0800, 326-0800. We're going to take a little break right now, and then we'll come back, and again, we invite your calls. Now for a break. Okay, we are back again. I, I want to direct our guest's attention to a passage in First Peter chapter 3. And this is in light of what uh, Reverend Higgs said 
earlier about the situation in which a wife is abused. What should she do? Should she hang in there regardless? Or should she uh, get out of the situation? And here is the reason why I'm asking that, because this particular passage or this verse sometimes poses a problem for some. It's First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, gentlemen. I'm sure that you're aware of it, but I want to read it, and then I'd like to get your response. It says, in the same way, you wives. Now, in context, in the same way, it goes back to how Christ suffered unjustly. Right? right? Mm-hmm. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. How would you gentlemen uh, explain that verse? Well, I think there's the power of, of the Holy Spirit in terms of the witnessing with our spirit that we're His and the, the impact and influence that a life can have on someone, especially in a relationship like marriage, which gives you opportunities and, and an intimacy that you don't have in most other relationships. But it doesn't automatically mean it's going to happen that way. I think this is the, the call, the standard that's upheld is, this is the ideal. By your example, you can win over a husband, the word to the wives is, even if he's not believing or understanding or really being able to, to live out the way God wants you to, him to live in the marriage. But if you go a little further down, again in verse 7, it says, the same goes for your husbands. Be considerate the way you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. So, again, it's always the It balance. is always this mutual thing, isn't it? Right. It's right. always the, you know, Reciprocal. one, one weighs against the other. They balance each other up. And mm-hmm. so, I don't think we can just read the part about wives saying, whatever's happening with your husband, you do everything the right way forever and ever, without also reading the part about husbands. Well, I agree, but... but I, I think, to get to the answer to the question, really, I think... There's, there has to be a limit to abuse or to suffering or to mistreatment that a wife is, is expected to undergo at the hands of a husband who either doesn't believe or claims to believe but doesn't practice the word if he misrepresents or, or doesn't live the way the scriptures teach. And I think that limit comes, my personal opinion, I, I'm not saying this is a biblical uh, standard, but I think if there's ever a physical abuse, if you cross the line when there are blows or there's violence of that kind, then that clearly shows, demonstrates that the respect is gone. And I think then you lose the ground upon which you can even have the influence that this passage talks about. Right, okay. I think we have a call. Hello, you on ECB, talking it through biblically. Hello. Hi. Good good evening, gentlemen. Afternoon. Good, after, good evening. Uh, I got a question been bothering me for some time. I'm glad you gentlemen on the radio. Uh, it, it is to do with husbands and wives and also with divorce and so forth. Is that okay question for the topic? Well, look, we're trying to keep it with the relationship, the husband and wives as possible without divorce right okay. now. But oh, if not, okay. go ahead. We'll, uh, yeah. These gentlemen are prepared for anything. There's a husband and a wife in a relationship, and the husband is being abused by the wife. I mean beat right up and all that other stuff. Right. And because he does not believe in divorce, uh, and he knows that that, that scripture that is that God has 
never intended when the Moses allowed them to put away the wife with the heart. The right. heart. It was never meant so to be so from the beginning. So then is it so that he should remain there or should he be divorced or however the case may be? But simply because the scripture says that meant to be so from the beginning. Uh, how should he handle the situation like this? Please. Okay, thanks for your question. I'll let them answer. Okay. All right. Dianza, why don't you take a first shot and then we come to a bill. I, th I think the, the simplistic answer to that it revolves around the fact that submission has limits, whether it's the male or the female. Anytime you're living in a context where there is harm being done, where there is illegality being done, where there's immorality that is being done, I think either party has the right to leave the relationship. Now, I didn't say divorce the relationship. Mm -hmm. Leave the relationship with the view of helping to heal the relationship. Yeah, right. So, therefore, I would say leave, leave the, 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 the context of the home, but then you are going to be on the outside working to help that home because clearly, clearly, one party, that party is not filled with the Spirit of God, the controlling force in their lives. And then the other side of it might be that one party is, is experiencing some illness or, uh, you know, sometimes people have chemical imbalances as to why they behave the mm -hmm. way they behave. And so, therefore, we must give them that opportunity for correction. Okay, so what you're saying is even in an abusive situation, that doesn't give the person, the, the wife who's being abused, the automatic right to get a divorce. No, I don't think but so. But rather the first effort should be to get to safety, of course, yes. but then to try to help her sick husband. Absolutely, because okay. nobody who loves his or her spouse abuses what he loves. Right. So something is wrong with that picture, spiritually, could be uh, emotionally, could be um, medically. Okay. Yeah. Reverend Higgs. I agree with that, and I think we, we need to recognize and name that abuse is never right. 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 It goes against the very nature of God's creation. Right. Uh, cre everything in, na in nature is created to nurture, to reproduce, to advance, to never to abuse, to tear down, to destroy. So on that principle, I agree. But there are times when, yes, you need some space. You need to get out of a situation. You need to back away to take a, a different look or to be able to... Uh, just get out of the intensity of the moment or the experience to be able to evaluate things. But going back to the passage that, that the caller referred to in Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about what used to be, what was understood about divorce in verse 31 of Matthew 5, I just want to read a little bit of that from the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a direct translation, but it explains some things. And I think in this particular case, it explains it very well. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving a divorce basis, legal rights. Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness, pretending to be righteous just because you are, quote, legal. Mm -hmm. And I think I that's like the that. point Jesus was making. I don't like the message too much for that. I like that one. <laughs> that's the point Jesus was making, is that you can't use a situation just because it's legal or just because it's right. a custom or just because it's understood. Yeah to justify something in your heart or against God's word you know is not right. And that's what we have to hold up against, the standard of God's word. So I think, yes, there are times when you have to get out of a situation, you have to reevaluate, you have to step back and, and take a serious look at yourself as well as the other person. And yes, our love should mean that we want to help 
each other. Good. Okay. I think we have another call. Let's interrupt here. Hello, you on ECB, talking it through biblically. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I still understand about the principle, right? What happens when the enemy comes and goes up there, creating another family? How do you deal with that? I didn't hear you too well. Could you repeat it again, please? Okay, I'm saying I don't understand the Bible principle. Okay, but what happens when your husband goes away, Mrs. Ultra, create another family in your marriage? Yeah, she's asking. Mm-hmm. Got that. I, I, I think I got that. Yeah. Who'd like to respond? Which one? Go ahead, Brother Higgs. Well. That's, again, a situation where the ideal has been breached. What God has set up as the standard for family life has been either ignored or has been abused. Right. Standards terms, have been abused. Right. So uh, whenever you, you go to the Bible, of course, what we are given here is the standard. Now, Jesus, and especially in, in Matthew 5, 6, 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, often would take the biblical point of view, the instruction, the guidance, the law, and by then he'd say, the reality is, it doesn't always work this way. Mm-hmm. So let's think about how we apply this. And in this sort of situation, the reality is this happens too often, but the husband who has gone out of the marriage relationship, has another family elsewhere, has violated the covenant of marriage, has broken the vows that he made, and therefore the marriage is not what it was it's supposed to be and intended to be and so I don't think the wife then has the obligation to put up with everything that's thrown at her just because she's married because the real value of the marriage has been violated has been destroyed so as long but as again I think divorce is always a last resort I okay. think there so may be some as challenges long as there. out there in that disobedience state then you're saying her that uh, she has a di- sort of a different relationship to him now as his wife. I think he has created a different relationship. Right. Yes. So she has not necessarily say, I am, I am bound to these other um, responsibility obligations I would have if he wasn't associated with his other party. Yeah, I think that's, that's the way I understand submission. The submission of the wife is not to be... Uh, devalued by her right, husband, right. but it's to be treated by him in the way marriage was intended and to follow and to fulfill the role. So did that give her a basis then for divorce? Better the answer. <laughs> and, uh, suppose he changes his heart, his mind, and he wants forgiveness. Should she be willing to give that forgiveness in spite of the fact that he has been unfaithful? Oh yeah, forgiveness is, forgiveness is the F word for the Christian. We must, we must at all cost uh, never bury forgiveness. Um, and so, mm-hmm. but again, forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice um, on the part of that woman not to hold, uh, since even though she has the right to, for retribution, even though she, she has the right to be bitter, she now chooses not to be. And to forgive. Uh, yeah. So uh, forgiveness is there, but again, from a, a plainly fleshly perspective, <laughs> and we're not supposed I to be fleshly. I don't know why only fleshly <laughs> is, yeah, <the> <laughs> I think that marriage is dead. 
I tend to think it's dead, unless, of course, as you as you invoked just now, the the, the call for forgiveness. Uh, we don't like to speak of it like that, and we hate to even come to that conclusion. But something like that seems to me to be dead, and I think it, uh, without trivializing it, it tends to give that person the right to go and pursue. Uh, but how far should a wife goes who is trying to obey the scriptures in trying to win her disobedient husband. That, that's what I'm saying. Yes. How yes. far can she go even in that kind of a situation? For instance, could she say okay to him, as long as you are enjoying these um, uh, relationships that you're supposed to have in my marriage, your marriage with me, but you're having with someone else, yeah. when you come home, you're not going to get it. Yeah. Uh, if you are out there having these relations and you're always out there, when you come home, I'm not going to iron your clothes or, f or, or, or cook your meals. But is, does Can he, she do that? But does, she have, that he, does he have that right? You see, because... I, I, I That's see, what I'm asking. Right. Marriage says, from the husband's perspective, I want the best, very best for you. Mm -hmm. But he's not displaying that in this context. She is just a can on the shelf. A legal can, if I could put it right. that way, and and the, you know I, I I personally do not believe that she should. Uh, but Pastor Higgs, my, my my question is here: How far mm -hmm. and how can she still say, "Hey, I want to do what I can to win my husband in some fashion"? However, his his actions must have consequences. Yes, you want to say I'm saying. Yeah, and again, it's was where you draw the line. Right, and that's I, my I don't point. think where the Bible gives us very. Clear picture for every scenario. Right. right. So that's why I said earlier we have to look at the big picture or the general principles. And I that think the Bible that is the teaches. point. In that passage in, in First Peter three, there is no time limit. Right. Nothing is specific there. No specific no. at all. And that's why the question is: Well, then, how long can a spirit-filled, submissive wife go on in a situation like that? And I think it's different for different people. You know, some people may, depending on their background, their experience, the home life they themselves had, what they were taught, their faith and how deep it is and, and experiences they've been through that have brought them closer to the Lord than others. I think each one of us approaches these situations with our own unique perspective mm -hmm. on that will help to determine how much we can handle, where the line is drawn, how when you know because there's always a danger in this situation now described that a wife wanting to win her husband to be the good example the perfect role model to witness through her behavior in spite of his rascal attitude and irresponsible behavior and the possible threat he may be bringing home with diseases and exactly. all sorts of other things. so many things she still wants to do the right thing but that could easily turn into a resentment and a bitterness that under the surface could do harm to her faith and to her spiritual relationship with God by feeling she's trapped in this situation, this relationship that that the God who's supposed to love and forgive and who's all about redemption doesn't seem to have any love for her. Mm. So I think there's always now again, we have to though, look at all here, these different angles. But let me be a little challenged to here then. But see, that's the context that I was given, and it talks first about Jesus, how he suffered, although he was righteous and he was just. He didn't return evil for evil or anything. He didn't curse when he was cursed at and all of that. But he entrusted himself to God. And then he says, 
Likewise, you wives do the same thing in the relationship. Right. My question is this. But God took him out of this the is a hard for a while, This is a hard it's saying. It's called really death. Is, well, no. <laughs> but this is the, what I'm saying but is... When does a marriage die? Yeah. Yeah. Death do us part. Is it physical death or is it when the relationship is died? Yeah, this is what but um, how, much, yeah. how much impact or influence does the, the understanding of Scripture on the part of the spouse uh, bear in a situation like this? How important, in other words, do you think it is for spouses to understand what God is saying about situations like this? Would you, how would you agree to the, uh, respond to the question, do you think that the person who truly understands the scriptures and wants to obey God will go further in these situations and hardships and even suffering than the person who doesn't understand the scriptures. No doubt. No doubt the person who, who has a, a, a deeper intimacy with the Lord will, will, will experience and, and will, will spend more time because obviously what will be happening in that person's life would be the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering um, would be a, a, a virtue that that person would have more than the person who has not had a, a deep intimacy with God. Uh, so I, I think, again, when you're filled with this, see the, the see the operative thing is the person who's filled with the spirit, and of course that's what it is in Ephesians five. Yes, yeah. yes, and to, to it's all in that context. Yeah. and then I think the peace of God rules in the heart of the person because I think when that peace is there, even if you're in a difficult situation, when the God's peace is with you, you will tolerate experiences that the that the typical person who doesn't have that experience. Would, 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 would run away. Well, then, would you uh, extend that so far as to say that perhaps one of the reasons? Uh, let me interrupt my question here. We have a call. Hello, you on ECB talking it through biblically? Yes. Good afternoon. How are you in your panel? We're fine, thank I'm you. Fine. Yes. I, I just want to say that's a that's a beautiful topic, and um, Pastor Lee, I'm glad that you brought that part. Um, that's the, the, con, the context of that scripture. In other words, if we don't be equal, unequal yoke, we will have all this problem. We have been unequal yoke so much time, one being saved and the other one is not. And I think that's where we get a lot of this problem. Well, I agree with I agree with you. I think the unequal yoke automatically brings a lot of problems. Right, a lot of baggage. However, however, even in the Christian marriages, especially those who don't know the word or those who are not filled with the Spirit, you experience the same things because they're not equal. That's right. I, I agree, but what I what I believe is that like the the, the old landmark is is being moved. Yeah. You understand? We just having these type of things in this kind of time or in this era. But before, people understand what marriage is all about. And they try to put it together. Even sometimes if you have to maybe suffer a little bit, whether it's the man or the woman. In other words, they would hang in there and they would pray or maybe get, get the saints to pray with them. And sometimes things change. But because of this, um, this era, this time, and people believe that, hey, I come into this marriage because of what this man has or what this woman has, or he looked, he, he looked, you know, he looked so handsome, or I, I just, you know, I just want to have him. All of those things, we don't take the deep, we don't take the, we don't take the deep path of marriage. So we just want to get this maybe for the money that he has, or what he has. And this is why we have all of this 
you know, Caracas is going on today, and we are not really following the word like we ought to. Amen. Because we are not following the word as we ought to. This one believe it, hey, if I marry you today and this daddy work tomorrow, I come out of the marriage. Mm -hmm. And not only that, when you come out of the marriage, they're looking for somebody else to go and check up with or whatever, or get married. Yeah. But it, do it doesn't work like that. Instead <laughs> of a brother or a sister desire to leave, let him leave. And otherwise, they say, well, go and get married. Try sort it out like one was saying, try sort it out. And if sister want to leave, she's not in bondage. But we got to understand that's not to go into another relationship. In other words, try to work on it like um, one of the ministers was saying, work on it. And when you work on it and you pray, trust me, what prayer can do just cannot be. Amen. Well, thank, thank you for your call. Any response, gentlemen? Well, I think the call is hit on the, the very essence of what all of this has to do with, and that's our values. Mm -hmm. I mean, what we value determines how we behave, because it influences our thoughts, and our thoughts begin a process that leads to making a decision, which leads to an action. So undergirding everything is our values. And that's why the Bible is so many, many times over and over reminding us that we really have to address inside where values are formed and determined before we can expect the outward okay. behavior to fall in line. So, you know, where your heart is is where your treasure is. I mean, that, what you love is what you will do. What you are most concerned, passionate, and excited about is where you will take your life. Yeah. You spend your money, right. you spend your time. So if we are committed to the things of, of God and to that is our passion is to love and serve the Lord, then yes, we will build up a strength, a tolerance even, an ability to, to go through more than perhaps other people can. But I don't think we should clothe that in the name of suffering because to suffer is good or is holy. Right, right, right. Uh, suffering is a byproduct of the reality of life and the evil present in the world, but it's not God's desired way for his people to live. But when the Bible tells us, like in Romans twelve twenty one, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good, then it means that our emphasis must always be on the good. We recognize there's evil. We are in this struggle and this dichotomy and this, this is the reality of life. But our emphasis and our, our striving is always for the good and to do what God requires so that we can overcome the evil. But okay, the reality now, of life is we don't always overcome every situation. Well, that's for sure. The way but there is still God a period of the Christian to. life that is. Let me read your passage and then perhaps you can respond to this. I don't want to get the people the wrong idea, but I still want to. Make sure that we play, put the place of pain and suffering for Christ in the right position. Mm -hmm. In the same passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 this time, he says, You have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example to follow in his steps. Now, I believe, gentlemen, this is the only place in Scripture where it says that Jesus is an example. I don't know of any other Scripture, and it's example has to do with suffering. What though? Well, here it goes. Who committed no sin, knows any deceit found in his mouth. Right. In other words, he did good, he did right, but he still suffered because of it. The point is, when you are trying to live for Christ, to demonstrate, at least this is what I see it here, uh, Christ-likeness in your life, keeping with the Word of God, you probably are going to have some problems because of that, right? Now, my point is this, though. I don't want anybody to say that means that I'm trying to say that 
A woman needs to stay in the house and get abused in no way. The first time he lays hand on you, get out of there. Go find some place for protection and everything and then find somebody to help that sick man. So I want you to understand that. But I'm not talking that point of abuse. You know what I'm saying? Physical abuse, I mean. Because some people will feel, well, he shouts at me. Well, he doesn't give me enough money. Well, he doesn't bring enough food or things like that. You know what I'm saying? And I can't take this any longer. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about here? Uh, Giving the right of a woman to, uh, or a man to get out of a situation? No, no, no. I I don't think we're talking about it. I I think I, I alluded to this earlier. Submission to any situation has its limits. And I think we need to be clear on that, that it has its limits. And once we are clear that it has its limits, because I am not going to, I am not, you know, old people used to say years ago, um, child, you got to grin and bear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the level of their knowledge. But I'm not going to suggest as a pastor to anybody who's in a situation where they are being harmed. To grin and bear it. To grin and bear it. Right, I agree. Const- constantly. I mean, the, the passage you were reading a while ago, yes, um, the suffering is commendable before God, but for how long? I mean, does God take away his commendation after two years or... Well, no, he doesn't. Years? That's the point. He right. does, and there's no idea of it. Exactly. no idea of it. Of time, right. right. So, therefore, um, we are not endorsing staying in an abusive situation. Amen. And I think that's clear from all of right. us. Right. And I think now, the other point that this passage is making for us is that the suffering of Christ was for a purpose which was to help with the redemption of humankind. Now, if our suffering in a relationship like marriage is going to help redeem the marriage or help the abusive spouse... Well, I think to, that's the to, idea in First Peter 3. Right. One. That's, that's the idea, I think, behind it, that you, can, you should be prepared to put up with some stuff if you can get the result right. that, that the suffering Christ, will bring. It's only for right. Christ when you know that's specifically why it's being done. Right. It's yeah, not for selfish reasons, selfish purposes, or anything else like that. Exactly. To make yourself a martyr just because you right. think this is... A gentleman, time is going, but uh, let me ask, I'd like for both of you to respond to this. Because uh, we're talking about marriage here and one's perspective on roles and whatnot in a marriage relationship. Now, what would you advise or suggest uh, for young people who are thinking about marriage? Or to put it another way, how do you think that we could help to prevent some of the problems that we see in our marriages in the Bahamas now, the abuse, the divorces and, and separations and so on? What would you suggest as some remedies for this. Uh, Pastor Higgs, and then we'll come to Pastor Cunningham. I think education is really the key. Um, we are all educated in our the way we understand and perceive relationships. And that may not be formal education. That may be the environment we grew up in, the role models and examples we had as children, our own family life, and how husbands and wives or parents related to each other. Because we all learn better what we see than what we hear. So I think we need to, as the church and as pastors, make sure that that education is part of the process for, and through perhaps the most blatant opportunity we have is the premarital counseling, Mm -hmm. 
But there are other ways, too, through sermons and through, certainly in our youth groups, I think we can emphasize this, some of the things we need to teach. And again, it all goes back to values. Now, my, my premarital counsel... Bill, you got to hold it if you don't mind. We no, have no, one no. more call okay. and only a few moments. Hello, you on ECB, talking it through biblically. Hello. Hi. Go ahead, yes, please. Good afternoon, Pastor Good afternoon. Yes, sir, I was listening to the... Um, uh, the program. I'm just wondering. A comment was made by one of the um, pastors with regard to to um, uh, being in a situation and how long um, should an individual be in an abusive situation. I, I guess you were making reference to to physical abuse, but I'm I'm wondering. Um, are you saying that therefore um, there is a limit to how much a husband or wife should suffer in a situation? And I'm not talking specifically about physical abuse. Maybe it's a, a verbal. Or with regard to, like you said, not um, um, assisting financially, is is there a limit um, based on what you mentioned with the text? That you said there was no time limit. But are you saying, therefore, that after a period of time, I should therefore um, uh, look for a way out of that situation? Uh, gentlemen, how would like to respond? Hello. Listen to your heart, mm -hmm. and listen to the spirit of God. Because if again we are speaking in the context of the Christian marriage. And what we have suggested as we began this program is that it is impossible for the Christian marriage to be what God ordained it to be without the filling of the Spirit. So you have to be guided by the Spirit in your decision making with regard to how long you can live within the context of your marriage. I agree. I think there will be limits. Now, I said earlier, I think they may change from individual to individual depending on a lot of things but I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 6 do not give dogs what's sacred don't throw your pearls to the pigs I think that applies in marriage and relationships mm -hmm. as much as it does to possessions or things anything we value we need to be careful how we offer that for abuse okay and, I guess uh, I have there has two, to be a limit yeah. I have two uh, things that number one I would stay in a position as long as I know I am glorifying God in the position, number one. Number two, another way of saying it is being in there as long as I believe that there's some hope of redemption for the people who are involved. As long as that hope is there, and if we are in a position we can say that I know that I am glorifying God in this position, then I believe we stay in until we believe that we are not doing so. Those are broad generalities and a council, yeah. but that's stay in the marriage, but not necessarily stay in the place. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that also is the guiding guiding factor that God will continue to supply strength Amen. and patience and Amen. grace so long as you feel it's where He's leading you. Okay. Gentlemen, thank you. Time is gone. We really appreciate your being here with us today, and you can be sure we'll call upon you again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Talking It Through Biblically. Remember this, marriage is still one of the most wonderful and beautiful relationships anyone can enter into if it's entered into on the basis of the will of God and for the purpose of glorifying Him. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things. Christian broadcasting